Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, live online, a guide podcast. And today I am talking with the amazing Jeremy Goldman for about 20 near 20 years. Jeremy Goldman has been spearheading long-term marketing strategies and developing deep insights for world-class brands like Consumer Reports, Amtrak, Kiehl's, U.S. Marine Corps, Corps, Becca, Colgate, Unilever, you name it. He's done it. He, de- he developed branding for Mobileye, later sold to Intel for $15 billion. His work has been recognized by everyone from L2 to IC, Mad, and even Gawker. An international keynote speaker, best-selling author, going social as well as getting to like. Make sure you check out his books. And columnist, Jeremy's insights have been featured in broadcast media as well as publications such as Mashable and the Wall Street Journal, among others. He is a brilliant technologist as well as innovator and really, you know, I think is one of the go-to people to read about on all things tech and what's going on, whether it be future of work or innovation. And today I'm excited to have him on the show because we're going to talk a little bit about leadership and we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in tech right now and how does he see COVID-19 shifting human behavior and a few trends that we are now seeing in the technology industry. Without further ado, let me go ahead and bring on Jeremy on the show. What's up, Jeremy? Hey, how are you doing? Thank you so, so much for that great intro. I, I guarantee at least 25% of that is true. What you just said. <laughs> No, but I appreciate it. How are you doing today, man? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you uh, speak well. Let's show love to our amazing audience right now. So, UTFO community, come out and show love. Where are you tuning from? If you're tuning in from Kenya, Nigeria, the U.S., Oakland, San Francisco, let me know in the comments, and I'll show you some love. So, Jeremy, where are you tuning in from, man? You know, I'm from uh, New York mostly, but now I'm uh, in exile, like a lot of New Yorkers. I'm outside, right outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Um, It's literally the first, I I make a lot of uh, Cleveland jokes because my wife's from here. And I say, this is literally the first time ever that people have like ran to get into Cleveland. You know, normally it's the other way around. But um, no, in all seriousness, it's a great town, and it's 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 you know it's a very different vibe than New York. I mean, because you've been all over, so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, it is. So let me ask you, man, because I know COVID nineteen has really been affecting, um, you know, the, where you're at right now. You know, let's let me ask, how long have you been doing the work that you do in tech, and you know, where 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 have you traveled to? Because I know your work taking the world and working with some of the top brands in the industry. Yeah, I mean, so I've been all over. It's interesting. The last place I was actually internationally was Estonia. Um, I was in Estonia on February 2nd, you know, and then a month later, it's, you know, COVID-19 hit in New York, going from one case to, you know, tens and hundreds of thousands, which is insane. And, you know, I think like I've always had the philosophy of, you do good work and yeah. you, you help people and it naturally becomes this inbound marketing vehicle where mm. especially for like big contracts, people will want to work with people who've done the work, you know, who are very familiar with the latest trends and who are good at predicting like where the market's going to be a few months from now. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, you you are big on future proofing. Right. And how organizations can do it, how individuals can do it. Let's talk about that. What does future proofing mean to you? How do you define that, man? Yeah, I mean, I think the way that I think about it is kind of like you fireproof something, you know, it's to make it resistant to fire. Mm. You know, you can never guarantee anything really 100 percent, but you can add the word proof to it and you can do something. And I think that. A lot of people, you know, like when you think about, for instance, future-proofing the U.S. economy, uh, you know, one thing that people could have easily done is said, you know what, it's a lot more uh, cost-efficient to just spend a little bit of money here and there and try to anticipate those black swan events uh, Mm. rather than try to deal with them after the fact. You know, like be proactive to have like Mm. pandemic response, to have tests ready, to have the right infrastructure for all these things that could happen, you know, uh, rather than be reactive afterwards. And a lot of organizations out there, it's not just governments, a lot of organizations 
don't have a plan in place for something because they say uh, th that it's like a 10% likelihood or 1% likelihood of happening. And I mean, you've worked with a lot of organizations that nevertheless, that thing they thought would never happen, it happens and it costs yeah. them a lot of money. So it's all about protecting yourself against that future risk. Yeah, no, that's so that's so true, man. And I think, you know, we're seeing a, a huge, uh, a, a wide plethora of examples from companies in retail and finance and 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 really just even consumer companies who have had to adapt their business model and their strategies overnight due to COVID-19. You know, you see like so much innovation that happens yeah. because of that. And I've seen so many people call it out and say, that's a great thing. But you mm. know what? I almost I would still prefer that most of those companies had a plan in place yeah. already, and then they just deviate and shift from the plan because they had to do so much thinking in a short time frame. And sometimes mm. you wind up with a creative, you know, way to address things. But sometimes you wind up tackling things in the wrong way yeah. simply because you know you're like, oh, what do I do? And you have to make a decision in that moment and stick to it. So you've seen a lot of companies that have done smart things, and then there are some companies where their logistics, for instance, for shipping are like kind of a mess because they haven't, you know, they didn't do the thought process beforehand. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 100%. So, I, I, you know, I want to ask our Unleashing the Future of Work community, for those who are tuning in, how do you think COVID-19 has changed the way business operate, right? How do you think it's affecting how businesses future-proof themselves now and in the long term? Chime in. Let me get your thoughts in the comments. We would love to hear what you, Jeremy and I would love to hear what you think. So, you know, let me ask you, Jeremy, you know, we are, I believe we're moving. So I, you know, one thing I usually tell people is that from 1999 to, you know, let's say 2010, I think that was like the, the internet era. Right. And then from 2010 to 2020, I kind of see that as the mobile era, right? We all kind of like embrace mobile computing and, you know, all of the, the different advantages it gives us. Right. And we built that over the internet. And now I think from 2020 to 2030, I think we're entering a different era, what I would love to call as kind of like the convergence era, right? Where we're going to see a mix of technologies. And really in a digital age, I want to ask you, how do you think organizations can adapt to the digital age, man? Because we're living in it, man. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the organizations that are winning are the ones that are doing less adaptation because they're already there or they're, yeah. they're a lot closer to being there. And then there are some companies where I hear their processes, you know, or I'm consulting with them and I'm like, what are you thinking that that's yeah. the, like, like, I'm like, that would be a great plan if, if we were talking about 2012, you know, but th this is now a different world. So for instance, mm. uh, having work policies where you don't embrace remote work make no sense. You know, you have to, <laughs> I, I've seen people where, you know, they say like, you know, essentially work off of this device, right. And don't have these particular apps installed. So then people are just playing around on their phone and then not being efficient because you don't have work policies that address yeah. the, the consumer of today. So you really have to think like, what's the psychology of the people working for you, don't you? If, if you want to uh, be a good, like forget about anything else, think yeah. about like the productivity of your people and think about your employer branding, you know? A hundred percent. So I want to show love to our amazing community. Patricia, what's up from Vegas? Joaquin was good, man, from America. <laughs> That's broad. Joaquin, let us know what state or, 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 or country are you in, man? Paul is tuning in from Nigeria. What's good, Paul? Another night job boy. What's up, man? Deborah is tuning in from Houston, Texas. Hey, Deborah. Dion is tuning in from Hello DFW. Is that a city, Dion? Let me know, man. Dallas, Fort Worth. Javon is, <laughs> Dallas, <laughs> Javon is tuning in from Dallas, Texas. Janine is tuning in from Florida. Betty from Chicago. Hey, Betty, I hope you're doing well today. And Joaquin is tuning in from Minnesota. And hey, Winifred, who I know is tuning in from either the UK or Nigeria. Remind me because I know you're, you're, a frequent, you're a frequent viewer. So shout out to you, Winifred, for watching another episode. So, Jeremy, you know, I, I love that. You know, and, and I think what, what I love about what you're saying is that 
organizations can truly prepare for shifts like a black swan, right? On, 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 even if it's unprecedented, even though if we don't see it coming, there are things that you can put in place to make sure that your, your organization is, is more agile. And I think I often tell people, it always comes down to how leadership, leadership sees their business, right? If you're building a sustainable business, then you're building a business rooted in community. You're building a business rooted in service. And I think one of the good examples, I'm sure you, you, you've seen this company, Jeremy, Airbnb, right? Everyone knows Airbnb. They've pivoted their business overnight. What it almost looks like is if they were prepared for this, right? They literally now are focused on like online experiences and, you know, still serving their hosts because they are listening to, to their hosts, right? You know, I would love to kind of get your examples of some companies that you're looking at right now who you think are really doing a good job staying alive in this uh, digital age. Yeah, I mean, I think particularly like this moment now, you've got some companies like REI and Starbucks who took leadership, you know, if we're talking like pandemic alone, like they showed leadership in doing yeah. some closures before they were mandated to, you know, like they basically, in essence, started the, the groundswell of people basically saying it's not worth it, you know, to have potential liability to make our, our customers sick and so on. Yeah. And in doing so, they had an impact on the federal government response and on the state response, you know. And, yeah. you know, you're so right, by the way, when you have the culture of future-proofing yourself when you're trying to anticipate what's gonna happen, you wind up within this agile culture where you're making decisions in a lot quicker, sharper uh, way, where you're thinking about what's at stake if uh, mm -hmm. you were to have a catastrophic event. And you know, by the way, there are a few, uh, ironically, like there are very conservative parts of every organization I've consulted with, such as IT and legal, where this yeah. is their job. Their job is to always think what could go wrong that probably won't go wrong, but I don't want to cost the company a few million dollars because I forgot to write that extra line in a contract or because mm -hmm. I forgot to you know, secure the code that we're shipping to our customers. So, so you really have to kind of think like almost in this conservative way. And you know what, you might not get that Black Swan event perfect, but at least you're going to have adopted that kind of mindset that you need to have. Mm, man, that's powerful. That's powerful. Shout out to REI. If you're an REI fan, let us know in the comments if you love the brand and love what they stand for. You know, but I, I think those, those, those are test case examples of companies who get it. Right. Who get it. They understand the context that they're living in and they're not afraid to pull the pull back. Right. And take a stance. You know, and I think that's one thing I've, I've loved about REI. And, and I, I'm not even big on, on, on going to the retail shop, but I love the purpose behind their mission. Right. Mm -hmm. I love the purpose behind what they do. You know, and, and that's what we want at the end of the day. Right. As consumers, purpose driven brands living on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. That's the really, it's interesting. So there's a bunch of episodes of uh, my podcast, Future Proof, that I've covered corporate social responsibility and, mm. uh, you know, really focused on that. I've had some really smart, you know, thought leaders and I had the chief giving officer of Tom's uh, on wow. my last episode, you know, and you really uh, see that people want to feel good about all of the purchases that they're making. And I will say, you know, like when you have an event like this, let's just say if the economy has like a major, you know, shift towards the negative for like two years, three years, I'm hoping that's not the case. It'll be interesting to see if people feel as strongly about purpose-driven brands or not, because if your wallet, you know, your budget's a little bit tighter, do you care as much about that? Are you willing to like, you know, like adopt those principles that we take. And I, I hope that, you know, yeah, we still want to make smart uh, budget conscious decisions, but also for brands that we, you know, feel something for. I, I hope that that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. So Joaquin is saying he definitely sees more teams who are probably moving to Slack. Man, that is a great point. And Joaquin, let me, let me know if I'm making sure I'm saying your name right, man. Tim is saying, what up from Pittsburgh? Shout out to Tim, who's tuning in from Pittsburgh. Long time viewer and a great friend of mine. Shout out to Tim for always being a great buddy. Winifred is saying, this is Winifred. I am a Nigerian who lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> Thank you for actually letting me know, Winifred. I did not know where you are. Shout out to you who are, you're, hopefully you're staying home and staying healthy. You're staying home, staying safe and healthy in Charlotte, North Carolina. And shout out to Joaquin. Oh, yeah. REI's campaign gear and story is awesome. The clearance section is my favorite, laugh out loud. So I think he's definitely going to follow up and go back as soon as they're back in uh, 
um, uh, in operations, man. So he's a long time um, purpose driven fan. It sounds like. <laughs> oh, sweet, sweet. So I'm saying his name perfectly. Shout out to you, Joaquin. Thank you for that, man. So, Jeremy, I want to I want to ask you, man, because you know you you really have like a heart to for for the work that you do, man. You know what motivated you to really kind of like you know get into this industry and do the work that you do. Yeah, you know, so for me, it was interesting because I've always, you know, had this like future-proof, future-oriented model, but thinking towards marketing, you know, trying to figure yeah. out what are the things that are going to be big next year that aren't big this year? Because if you can tap something, you know, before all of your competitors do, then yeah. you're often going to have higher return on investment. Now, if you, mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure you've seen this, if you're too far ahead of the market, that's no good either, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, because like the return is not yet there. And if you're yeah. too far behind, then the high return on investment has already been tapped. So I've worked with companies and I've seen and observed companies where they have a too future forward playbook. That's pretty yeah. rare. And I've seen companies where their playbook is like so dated that I'm like, no wonder, you know, you're not getting the return that you'd like. So uh, I think just being around the market and being frankly part of a lot of companies that have failed, you know, consulted with companies that have failed and being able to identify this is why they failed. And here's how the next company that I work with, they don't have to go through that failure. Mm. I can impart the knowledge of here's what happened when I worked with that company that went belly up or had mm. some issues. And, you know, like it, I'm sure, you know, you know, from the work that you do, I mean, now failure is like sexy the way that it was what, <laughs> <True. laughs> more, than, more than like 20 years ago. But like failure is just learning, you know, like yeah. anything. I don't care if you if you win mm. in an organization, and you learn from it. Great. If you lose and you learn from it. Great. Mm. Like the learning should be the important thing because you can yeah. fail and not learn anything from it. And that's not too great. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent, Jeremy. And I think a lot of people don't realize that sometimes that failure is just ruthless iteration, development, and learning. Right? It makes you better in the long term. Any experience that you have. So I want to show love to Tim, who says, "Thanks, man. We are always covering awesome topics on the Unleashing the Future of Work Live Online podcast." Tim, thank you so much, man. If you have any requests on future people that you think I should be speaking with. On a podcast, let me know. Send me a direct message or future topics. Let me know. Shout out to Michelle from London. Thank you so much, Michelle, for tuning in. You are amazing. We appreciate you. You know, so so Jeremy, man, like it's this concept of future proofing. I think it's so powerful for me because you know, with our company guide, we're really in this category of skills training for remote teams and employees, right? And we were in a in a in a former category in the past where we pivoted based on the context and kind of like running 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 course with the with the current of the market right always just looking about how do we future proof ourselves how do we adapt and you know i really kind of love what you what you talk about future proofing because one it's something that i try to embody and i think similar to you it's always a matter of me and us always trying to find like what's going on in the market what are we doing to stay ahead of the curve but not too far ahead to a point where it's like no one's going to use that right no one's interested in that we're right with like right at, at level playing field with our customers. You know, what are some practical tips that the business leaders who are tuning in right now and, you know, the aspiring technologists and, and entrepreneurs, what are some practical tips that they can use and apply to making sure that they're always going to future proof their business? You know, I mean, I think one of the key things is. Uh, you know, obviously you've got to be thinking in terms of what direction the market's going and then what skill sets that you need. So, I mean, a perfect example mm -hmm. is obviously you cannot uh, necessarily anticipate an event like what happened to us, right? We all know that. But what you can do is you can think about what are the skill sets that I need as an individual, for instance, in order to make myself more relevant in the future. Um, I'll give you a, a specific example as I even, you know, I manage a lot of uh, people who are data scientists and who've worked in the data sciences. And then I noticed, you know, like I have a bunch of SQL experience, um, but SQL, but I don't have a, uh, that much Python and I have no R, you know, experience mm. from a, a programming standpoint. And I figured, you know what, that's the kind of thing that I should actually, if I have a little bit more time now, which you know, I kind of do, kind of don't, 
um, then I can, you know, just pick up a little bit, upskill myself in that direction. Mm. And then another key thing is to notice, you know, where are the investments going for future uh, companies that are going to make it? Generally speaking, the people who make investments in startups, they're relatively smart. So they might get a few things wrong, but the broader market is not wrong. So for instance, yeah. if there are a lot of investments in health tech and fintech, I'm not going to bet against the, those uh, categories, you know, yeah. because, you know, so, uh, and, and, and that's why I say, like, really look at the skills that you think you're going to need and also look at the industries that might mm. be bigger because you might be somebody who might switch careers or you might run an organization that needs to pivot slightly and knowing what the things are that are going to be more valuable in 2021 than they were in 2020, you know, and frankly, like there are a lot of things now that we can all see from e-commerce data where there is interest in those things and probably will be over the course of this pandemic, you know? So the people who are pivoting towards some type of, uh, you know, re realization of that and saying, what do I need to do in order to be more uh, ready for whatever's to come? Like those are the people who are gonna win versus the people who say, everything will be back to normal in May. Yeah, new, that's so powerful, man. So really being able to forecast the broader market, don't be so narrow, and think about what are the skills that you can use to build businesses in emerging industries versus industries that are probably going down the wayside. Amen. <laughs> you say, you just say the same same thing I say, but like much more succinctly. So. <laughs> No, I love that, man. I love that, man. So shout out to Kimberly, who is tuning in. She says, hello, everyone. You can grow from failures. Preach that, Kimberly. That's 100%. And shout out to Fao. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Kia Ora from New Zealand. Wow, that is awesome. Kia Ora, is that the city that you're tuning in from, Fao? Let me know. That's awesome. I hope I can visit one day. So Betty is saying upskilling is important, but reskilling is humbling. Woo, what do you think about that, Jeremy? That's deep. I mean, if, if I think about like reskilling, I'm almost thinking about reinvesting in that particular skill set yeah. that you have already, which I think is spot on. And you know what's interesting, though, is that, you know, that uh, saying about like if a tree falls in the forest, does it make a sound? Yeah, I, I kind of take that to say like you can reskill. Uh, but if nobody knows that you have that particular skill, then it doesn't mm. do, do do you that much good. And yeah. you know, my, my second book that I co-authored, um, Getting to Like, you know, is about personal branding. And largely mm. it was uh, talking about what do you want to be known for? What do you want to stand for? And so, for instance, if you want to double down on one particular aspect of your skill set, and you just reinvest in yourself. Also, make sure that your LinkedIn is, a, you know, I mean, this is like clearly yeah. your area, you know this, but like make sure that everything around your social, you know, says that, uh, you know, Tim is, you know, the man, the Mr. Future of Work. Like you are very well branded, sir. So, yeah. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm preaching in the choir, you know this, but like a lot of people, it's like you look at them in one spot and it looks like they're an email marketer. And in another <laughs> spot, they look like an affiliate marketer. And I'm like, what, what is the thing that like you want to focus on? Which, yeah. what are you just like pick, pick one, pick one lane and yeah. get re reinforce it. You know, I think this is powerful that you're talking about this, right? Like, cause you're, you're speaking to the power of pick a niche. And you know, we, there's always this conversation around building like a T-shaped skill set and not, you know, and I think a lot of people who are probably even listening right now and tuning into, you know, our live show are saying, I'm scared that if I pick a niche that people are going to value me for the other areas that I might be good at. Maybe not great at, but I also want people to recognize. What do you have to say to that person that's currently thinking this, Jeremy? You know, I think you have to, in, in some ways, it's a really powerful question because there are a lot of people yeah. where, you know, we almost have like a little bit of fear in us, you know, where we're like, mm, I don't know if I want to really, really focus in that niche because what if that niche goes away or is less valuable? So you say, I'm going to play conservatively and you're going to like be like, I'm going to be the person known for seven different things. But if you're known for seven different things, you're known for nothing, you know, and, and people are not going to be able to recommend you, you know. So I frankly even have had that issue because I was fortunate enough to come up at a time where you could wear a lot of different digital hats, you know. So I had to decide what is the thing that I want to be known for, you know, and at one point it was social media excellence and like what's the future of social media. And now it's really 
brought into the future of digital marketing and you know marketing strategy in general yeah. uh, but at least there's like a specific thing that i've kind of said this is the thing i want to be known for this is the thing i'm going to spend my time getting great at and you have to almost pick something even if you don't wind up picking the quote-unquote right thing to focus on uh at least you're going to be known for that thing and people are going to be able to recommend you because you become memorable to them Mm, for that category. Exactly. I love that. That's so powerful. So Kia Ora means hello, greetings in Teo Rio Mari, indigenous language of New Zealand. And yes, great pronunciation. Oh my God, thank you so much, Val. I'm so happy I'm saying your name right. Shout out to you for giving us some culture this lovely afternoon. I love that. Kia Ora, I'm going to remember that, Val. So I want to show love to Patricia. Yes, that's how I feel. I'm, I feel like I'm known for too much. So she definitely is like struggling with this problem where she feels as if she's a generalist, but she doesn't really understand how to like pick her niche. And I think Patricia definitely follow Jeremy's advice, like create your category or support yourself in an existing category and really just brandish it and like drive it home. So people start recognizing you for it. And if that's diversity talent sourcing specialist, you know, run with that as much as possible and just keep on driving it home. So shout out to Jeremy for giving you that great advice, because I think that's really kind of the market we're living in, too. Everyone has to position themselves as a not a specialist, but you have to you have to be able to say that I'm great at this. And yeah, and these are some of the other good things I'm, I'm good at. But more importantly, just understand that I'm really great at this and allow me to add value in that way. What do you think, and Jeremy? Well, you know, and right, because a lot of people uh, they ha they have pretty good senses for things. They might not pick yeah. the number one thing, but they're not going to pick the number thirty-seven thing. Like, no, <laughs> no I, I don't want anybody to be worried about the fact that they're going to double down and say, like, I want to be known as the number one specialist in pitchforks, and yeah. then have it turn out that nobody needs pitchforks anymore. You know, I'm probably going to get some hate mail from some farmers. I'm sorry, you know, um, but. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, it was the first thing that came to my mind. But the point of it is, is like, let's mm. say if you double down on, you say like email marketing is going to be the yeah. thing that you're known for, personalization in email marketing. And it turns out that email marketing winds up being slightly lower in somebody's marketing stack than it used to be. That's okay. It's still yeah. in their marketing stack and you yeah. can do a ton of business by being known as the person where everybody knows exactly who to recommend. I, I frankly, I have some people, a perfect example is my friend Carly Fink, uh, yeah. runs Provoke Insights. And I know her as just being market research and strategy to the core. If you need wow. somebody to do, you know, like serious, serious, um, scientifically valid market research, and then you need them to maybe do some strategy off of that. That's the number one person I recommend because it's very clear that she does not, like when we talk, she does not mention the 17 other things she's probably pretty good at, you know? And in doing so, you become somebody that other people can, you know, say, go, go check out this person like I just did on this show right now. Yeah, dude, I love that, Jeremy. You are speaking to the choir, man. Shout out to Betty who says, ooh, that darn jack of all trades, which can be both a blessing and a chorus. Preach, Betty. I agree with you. Janine is saying, agree. What legacy do you want to leave behind? That's what you should be focusing on. Shout out to Janine, who is amazing at process, education, and strategy. Thanks for tuning in, Janine. Edward is saying, jack of all trades, but in this case, jack of all categories, which is not a good thing, I think he's trying to say. Even if your becomes obsolete, it is usually in other industries or even other other disciplines. That is a great point. I completely agree with that. And that's something that we actually talk a lot about in the breakintobigtech.com online course that I do with my good buddy, John. Make sure to check out breakintobigtech.com. We speak a lot about transferable skills and helping people get into tech. So check out breakintobigtech.com. Rotimi, my boy, is tuning in from London. What's up, Rotimi, man? I hope you're doing well. Thank you for tuning in. And shout out to Patricia who says, oh my goodness, I gotcha. So she's loving what you're saying, Jeremy, and she really appreciates all of your amazing wisdom. So you, 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 know, should, Jeremy, you, should, you know, should talk to my I wife, to by the way. A little bit here, man. You know, remote work and the future of work, you know, I live and breathe this and I'm always studying what's going on in the space. I would love to get your thoughts. You know, what companies do you think are, are doing remote work really well? 
You know, it's interesting because there are there's one company uh, that I did just start to work with, uh, so I got to actually give them like a little bit of a shout out. But Sales Roads. Wait, Jeremy, you're cutting off there a little bit. Oh, sorry. Am I back? Can you hear me now? Hello. Hey, I can hear you. Oh, hello, hello. Anybody hear me? I can see Tim. <laughs> yes, uh, I believe so. Okay, if you can hear me now. Oh, it's I me. Can, I think it's uh, me, man. I think it's me. I My internet connection is horrible right now. Oh, man. You know, everybody's live streaming. It's a problem. Oh, well, we good? No. I, I'm gonna take over. Oh, I'm gonna take over as host now, everybody. So I'm gonna be host now. Nah, no, I uh, I will hold down the fort, um, you know, until uh, Tim gets back. But I think one thing that uh, I, I would just say, which I think is such an important uh, thing for us to always keep in mind. Hey, I just kept on rolling, by the way. You good? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> rolling with the punches. <laughs> you're you're so much better looking, not pixelated. I can't, it, <laughs> But, you know, I got to just say, when you just said it's not you, it's me, that just sounded like every single breakup I had in high school, you know? Um, every, and, 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 you know, it, it, most of the time it was me, actually. So they should have they, they just said that and been honest. But Jeremy, you are hilarious, man. Okay, I think, I think everything's working out, man. So I, as I was saying, what are a few companies that you think are doing remote work well? I think you were talking about your, your, your wife. You mentioned your wife. I should talk oh, to your I wife. Oh, I made a joke, joke about that. But, you know, uh, but, but no, so Sales Roads is a company that I just started working uh, with, for instance. And they, and it's interesting, you know, like they had embraced uh, the idea of remote work going yeah. back to the middle of last decade. And those are the companies, some of the companies that have done a really good job, um, uh, you know, are companies like that where um, uh, they were able to embrace remote uh, working uh, early, you know, so I think that that's like one thing that, uh, uh, another key thing I would say, like live ops, I've heard good things about. Um, I've heard good things about, particularly what you see is like it's not actually uh, the same uh, makeup like of industries. It's not like it's it's evenly distributed in terms of like which are the companies that do a good mm. job with this. There are a lot of companies that have developers where mm. you know you're you're working on code and then you come together, you merge your code, and it doesn't really matter if you're that close to one another and there's a lot of really good quality coders in a bunch of different places and you see a greater uh, embrace of remote work uh, at those companies. But that being said, even I know William Sonoma has a lot of uh, you know remote workers. Um, I've seen Transcom and Aetna and Dell uh, do some particularly uh, good things in terms of uh, developing strong work cultures, even though not everybody's in the, uh, in the office. Man, so William Sonoma, yeah, and 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 so check out William Sonoma, y'all. If you all want to see the, if you all want to learn more about organizations who are getting remote work right, you know, check them out. Go deep on them and see what you can apply in your role or for your job. So shout out to Patricia who's having a hilarious time laughing at us because of our technical blimp. Shout out to you, Patricia, for bearing with us. Kimberly can hear us and she's tuning in and Tim can hear Jeremy and I now as well. So thank you all for bearing with us and our technical difficulty. You're always amazing. So, you know, Jeremy, dude, I, I just of your background. I want you to dive deep a little bit on your book because I don't think people really understand how powerful your book is, man. Um, and, you know, talk to us. What inspired the book, man? And where, where do you kind of want to take it? And how do you want people to react to it when they read it? Because I know people in the community are definitely going to check it out. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No. So my first book was called Going Social. Uh, and, you know, it briefly, I got to say briefly because I have to be humble, but briefly became <laughs> num n number one uh, bestseller in the social media uh, category in the world. And um, so I was I was very fortunate about that. And I wrote it, you know, a few years ago. And part of I was I was paranoid because I was like, you're going to read this and all of the how to guidance that I put in the book is going to be outdated by the time that people get around to, you know, like even 
from the time I put the book to bed to the time that it gets published. So mm. how do I deal with that? And the answer is I try to really try to make people think more about the principles of mm. how to execute on social, how to tie it back to the objectives of the company, you know? And at the time that uh, when I wrote it, a lot of people were just kind of like, how do I get a whole lot of likes, you know? And yeah. I'm like, well, you could go out of business getting a whole bunch of likes from people who will never uh, interact with you from a business standpoint. And in the one thing I'll say about myself is I think that I was okay about saying that when a lot of people yeah. were just talking about likes. And that's why I'm like going beyond that, you know, going tying it back to your business objectives. There's nothing that you should do in your business where you do it just because your boss comes over and they throw a tree publication down on your desk, you know, um, back mm. when we were allowed to be six feet from one another. And, um, <laughs> you know, like the, they'll throw it down on your desk and they'll be like, hey, our competitor is doing a campaign on TikTok. I need you to do a campaign on TikTok. Like, yeah. no, what's the, what's the business objective? Are you doing it yeah. just to do it? If you're trying to get, uh, you know, some mainstream press awareness, fine. But say that, you know, if you're trying to get sales, say that. If you're trying yeah. to get inbound email marketing leads, say that. So articulate your strategy. Mm. And I think in doing so, I made a book that was, you know, thankfully I still hear from people, you know, that it's been valuable to them uh, even more recently. Uh, even, and, and, and that to me is like the biggest testament when you've done something and people reach out and they're like, I was able to take this and execute something that I wasn't able to do otherwise. You put something good in the world and that's, a whole lot better than than being rich, I think. Man, that's so powerful, man. So Tim is saying, what are the companies that you believe have flipped the switch on their business offerings and models the best during this time period? You know, it's interesting. I think that um, one one probably really severely in, uh, affected, but not often talked about uh, are all of the different apps that uh, their whole entire main job was to send you to places where you could buy tickets for concerts. You know, wow. there are a lot of a lot of free live streams now that are going on. on and mm. all of a sudden you had like these apps like Bands in Town, you know, or Songkick, where now instead of sending you to places where you can go like buy tickets, they're just basically, first off, every single database of every single, you know, concert is out of whack. So they have to react to that. And then on top of that, they have to move towards a model of pushing you information about which of which acts that you follow are going to be doing live streams from home. Uh, yeah. And that's like a very different model. If you think about it, there are some companies where they just said like our whole entire monetization strategy uh, mm -hmm. is on hold. You know, I mean, I know keynote speakers that are entirely saying, like reinventing their model and putting on virtual events and taking some of the proceeds, but also donating a lot of it, you know? So those yeah. are people who they're pivoting, you know, a hundred percent in terms of what they were going to be doing over the next six months. If you're looking for like small businesses, a lot of big keynote speakers are doing that as well. Yeah. And, you know, I think with even with, even with our with our company guy, we see like there's this huge opportunity for us to support creators who are corporate trainers or public speakers with virtual training. Right. Because that's going to be huge now in the in the in the in the in the years to come. And, you know, you you kind of have to understand when to pivot, Tim. And I love Jeremy. What Jeremy is saying is that you just have to be able to read the market like they you know, the businesses that he mentioned saw that live online streaming was was really booming. And they're like, you know what? How do we one? How do we kind of get a piece of the bot? But how do we better serve our customers? And I think, Tim, you know, you just got to always kind of have this mindset of how do you better serve customers or is there a bigger opportunity here? that we can address through our business. So that was a great question, Tim. So Betty's asking, you know, a question, do industries will reconsider the value of remote work for employees, companies post COVID-19? Jeremy, what do you think? First off, that's my little, <laughs> that's a great question because that's actually something that I've spoken about. And I think I'm going to talk to one or two other experts uh, on the future of work and a little shout out to Patty McCord, uh, who was on a recent Future Proof episode. Uh, she's the former chief talent officer of Netflix, and we talked extensively about this. And basically, if you were a company that uh, previously said, oh, we're going to lose like all of our you know, culture if we w work remotely and we're not going to be able to you know, do the things we did before and we're, you know, our ties are going to be more tenuous, 
and people are going to be tuned out, whatever. Now you have data to see whether or not you were right. And most of the uh, time, like the answer will be, no, you weren't right. Um, especially when people have childcare, you know, to take care of their kids again. So uh, I think that there will be a lot of companies that were more resistant to it, that it's going to be hard to say, oh, now that everything's back to normal, we're going to go back to the, those policies where we didn't have data, you know? Mm. Um, like when, uh, you know, the Bay Area has an earthquake, you use that data to do a better job in the future. So it would be pretty silly for companies to now have this data where we were forced to work from home uh, and just ignore it completely. You know, mm -hmm. like there are some companies that might be more resistant than others. But the fact is we had this grand experiment uh, that we didn't want to have. But what are the lessons we can take from that? And some companies will get that 100% right and some will get it 80% right. But there are going to be very few companies who just like put on blinders and pretend this didn't happen and say, what can they take from this? And frankly, it's going to be a competitive disadvantage. Uh, you yeah. know, if there's one company that, uh, you know, says, yeah, just no remote work under any circumstances. That's a competitive disadvantage. I don't think people are going to want that. That being yeah. said, I know there are a lot of people who want to go into an office as soon as possible to get away from their kids. You know, I have... A, <laughs> I have you can you can see all this gray hair. None of it was there at the start of March. None of it. You know, I'm I'm 17 years old. I just look like this now because of being being inside with my kids for this long. No, it's true. I think you know to your point that organization is going to have to realize it is a competitive advantage to offer remote work and flexible work opportunities for your your workforce. And I think that's where we're moving towards as a future. Betty, shout out to you for the amazing question. I think Be Betty is an she's an amazing educator and as well as a, 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 a wife of a veteran uh, who lives in shy city. So Betty is just really passionate about what she does. So shout out to Betty, who's really great at what she does. So Patricia, will remote job sites get better with authentication? So many fake jobs. You know, that's a really interesting. And unfortunately, I think that that's something that I don't see a lot of people having the appetite to solve, uh, you know, anytime soon. Uh, it's not uncommon where people, you know, will post mm -hmm. a thing uh, internally, for instance, because they're trying to build a pipeline and they're not actually uh, trying to hire right now, or yeah. you know, or or a company like a recruiter that's basically creating a job because they want to build out a database. And the mm. problem is, is it becomes a very difficult thing to enforce and to like, how do you solve for that problem? You know, like you have a, a government person who goes to contact a recruiter or a company and, you know, make sure that they hired for that role because sometimes the financial situation changes and you can just say, oh yeah, we didn't have the quarter that we wanted to. So we didn't hire for that. I mean, I think the key thing is to definitely look at the quality of the ratings for a company on a glass door or, you know, there are many other really great places to learn about companies. Um, and, uh, you know, you can certainly uh, work uh, towards uh, only going to, going to companies that you feel that uh, it's a truly vetted opportunity. Mm, I love that. So shout out to Patricia for asking that amazing question. Winifred says, supporting speakers to get on different digital stages is a good pivot. Thank you so much, Winifred. We think it is too. We are making strong, intentional, and smart pivots, always moving with the current of the market. So I appreciate that nod, Winifred. Patricia is following up and saying, I feel they should be transparent about pipelining after COVID. You know, I agree with you, Patricia. Hopefully, you know, companies start to, one, truly invest in diverse talent sourcing after COVID-19 because, one, there's an abundance of talent available now. But more importantly, I think now more than ever, people are looking for purpose-driven companies that are transparent in how they hire, how they recruit, and what they stand for. So I'm hoping that we're going to see a, a changing of the tide as well, Patricia. Jeremy, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think what you just said is really true, uh, particularly when you look at if there are more companies, and you don't need every company, but if you have more companies embracing remote work, then my thought on it is that you're going to have places that the cost of living is going to be less. And as mm. a result, if you're opening it up, and like you're say, <laughs> right, you know, I mean, there, there are probably even places where it's like, like, 
I mean, Oakland is like, I, I, I know it's one of the most expensive places, especially like given how the Bay Area has exploded, right? But like, yeah. if you if you have somebody from Oakland versus somebody from Oklahoma City, you know, right? <laughs> it's like, there will be different amounts that you can pay that person. And if you're expanding it, you're going to have a greater supply of candidates, which then might actually mean that on average, you hire people for a little bit less, you know? Mm. Um, but it also means that it creates more economic opportunities, spreads it around a little bit. So that will be bad for places like my home city in New York, because we need more money uh, to mm. survive there because, you know, a loaf of bread is like $17, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but like for most places, you know, that have like normal price structures, they'll be able to afford, you know, and like be able to live relatively well. Um, and to me, there might even be like a question, this is down the line. Of yeah. how, do you, how do you basically price control so that uh, companies don't just like have Nexus and operate in New York, but hire a bunch of people you know, uh, in a cheap part of the country yeah. and then in doing so hurt the New York economy because the, mm. the things like that will certainly happen. Mm. Man, that's powerful. And you're seeing, and you're thinking about it from the economics standpoint too, which a lot of people aren't really even seeing. What are the economic triggering effects that are going to be caused due to kind of the, the centralization of migration away from cities? Yeah. I mean, I think when you're trying to figure out like what's going to happen, you just naturally kind of have to say, there's a fork in the road, right? Yeah. What are the odds this part of the forks happens? What are the odds that this uh, part of the fork happens? Mm. And then you keep on forking it, you know, in order to figure out what are the most likely things to occur, you know, down the line. If this happens, then it leads to that, that which will will probably make this happen, which will then make this occur, you know? Mm. So you just have to, like, thread things together in order to figure out, like, what's most likely to occur. Yeah. Dude, I love that. I love that. Shout out to Patricia who is tuning in and she's nodding her head to everything that you're saying, Jeremy. So, you know, Jeremy, I, I want to kind of cap us off and, and have us talk about one last important question, because I think one of the things that we're noticing right now is the importance of leadership. You've seen people such as Bill Gates, Brian Chesky, Elon Musk, Jeff Weiner, all of these technology, Mark Zuckerberg, all of these technology leaders who are stepping up to kind of like, band together around COVID-19. Bill and Mark Zuck Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg are, are partnering on, on a few things to hopefully kind of help us find a vaccine. You know, what are the skills and mindset you think leaders need to develop an ad adaptive advantage in this era? You know, I think that in some ways leadership, the good thing is there are, there are generally speaking like a few traits that are typically always uh, valuable in a leader, you know, so for instance, somebody who's willing to take an unpopular stand or a less popular stand and then communicate it to people and show them this is why we need to do what we have to do, you know, so to be able to articulate it, that's something that's not a new skill. It's yeah. a you know, pretty commonplace. I think, though, uh, the idea of managing under uncertainty and like a certain steadiness is incredibly important. You know, um, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen, but if you can be one of those people uh, who maintains a sense of, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we have a strategy to get through it and we're not going to be like herky jerky, you know, like mm. changing our strategy all the time. Because frankly, to keep switching between the best, second best, and third best strategies is a sure recipe for failure. But mm. if you follow each one of those, and if you just don't deviate from it, then often you can get to a successful spot, you know, through any of those ways. So uh, the the biggest thing is, you know, to maintain, you know, your composure, uh, to keep calm, uh, and to develop, you know, one strategy and to articulate it to people. Man, and be very clear on the vision. One strategy, one vision. One strategy, one vision. Man, you're you're talking like a product manager, man. <laughs> oh, I like that. It's it's so funny that you said that because um, yeah, literally my father-in-law, you know, yesterday was like, I'm meeting with the CEO and you know, he needs a VP of product, you know, and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I could probably, it, it's like, uh, as, uh, <laughs> I forget who said it, you know, uh, before in the live stream, but like to be a jack of all trades and a master of none, it's like a blessing yeah. and a curse, you know, it, uh, you, yeah. can, you, you can make your impact in a bunch of different ways, but you also yeah. sometimes have to just pick a lane. 
Yeah, and choose it and drive it home. Shout out to you, Jeremy, for that, man. So Janine is saying on the grand scheme of it, it sounds like a ripple effect of leveling out cost of living between states. Shout out to you, Janine. I love how you're synthesizing that at a high level. I'm definitely seeing that as well. You know what? You know, if you are loving this episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guy podcast, please share it with your networks, with your teammates, with your coworkers, with your friends, with your families, and tag Jeremy and I on what you're learning on this episode of Unleashing the Future of Work. We'll make sure that we follow up in the comments and or in your post and show you some love. So make sure you share this episode. There's a share button right down there near the comments. Share it with your network and tag Jeremy and I so we can follow up with you and show you some love. In addition, I want to announce I'm going to be creating a community for the Unleashing the Future of Work live online podcast. I'm going to be creating a community. And if you're interested in being a part of the community and getting access to exclusive content, let me know. I'm going to be creating that after this episode. You know, Jeremy, you know, you, 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 you've been you're an incredibly successful thought leader, author, and more importantly, chief marketing officer in everything that you do, as well as reading digital innovation. Where can our amazing community follow you and your work, man? Yeah, you know, um, I'd say probably one of the most valuable places is uh, Future Proof, uh, the podcast that I host. So just Google Future Proof Jeremy Goldman and you will find it. Um, yeah. And I got to say, um, I have a personal guarantee, which is, Every single person I have mm. on my show is smarter than me. Um, <laughs> I I have such amazing you know people to learn from. You know yeah. everything from the future of epidemiology to the future wow. of anticipating black swan events to the future of hiring. So every single episode, you know, like I try to get somebody who's a subject matter expert to really go deep in the particular thing that we're talking about, and then we have a little fun along the way. So I would say that's probably the best way uh, to uh, follow me. And then um, I am a, a little obsessive about uh, social media. So you can basically find me on every single channel. I should be the, <laughs> the number one Jeremy Goldman uh, on each channel. And if, uh, if, I'm not the, if I'm number two, then I'm doing my SEO wrong. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it, man. Shout out to Jeremy. Please connect with him on LinkedIn, Twitter, and every other social channel. And we need to get you on guide, man. And so you can be a guide creator, man, and share all of these bite-sized content around what you know. So shout out to Jeremy for being our lovely guest on today's episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide podcast. With that said, thank you, amazing Unleashing the Future of Work community. If you have any questions for Jamie or I, please hit us up in our DMs. If you have any thoughts on future episodes or people who you think I should interview next, let me know and I'll try to get them on the show. And more importantly, if you loved today's episode of the Unleashing the Future of Work A Guide podcast, share it with your network on LinkedIn or text it to your mom or your dad or your teammate at work and make sure that you let them know that Jeremy and Tim were awesome. Check out this episode. And more importantly, Tag us on LinkedIn if you really love this episode. And once again, make sure you check out breakintobigtech.com if you're interested in getting into tech and understanding how do you succeed in tech at scale. With that said, I appreciate you unleashing the future of work community. Thank you. And Jeremy, do you have any parting words for our amazing community, man? Oh, just that uh, you are an amazing conversationalist and such a great host, and uh, it's been a true pleasure. So thank you so much. Oh, man. Thank you, Jeremy. It was truly lovely having you on the show, man, and diving deep with you. Please connect with Jeremy on LinkedIn. He's brilliant at what he does. And make sure you go buy his books. His books are available now. Is it in audio form as well, Jeremy? Uh, it's in the audio. It's in Kindle. It's in basically everything, you know? So um yeah, no, it's uh, go check it out. You got no excuses, people. <laughs> I love it. Shout out to Abel who's saying, so Abel's going to get the last word on today's episode. You two are amazing. Will this be available offline? Abel, absolutely. It will be available as soon as we get done with the recording. So make sure you watch, you watch the replay and let us know what you think. All right, man. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you, Unleashing the Future. It was truly awesome having you all of you tuning in. Love you all. With that said, peace, love, and see you tomorrow at the same time. Bye.